The Athletic. Well, they've been criticised, humiliated, battered by Brentford and Brighton, but on Monday night, against Jurgen Klopp's mentality monsters, Manchester United finally took off under Eric Ten Hag. Jaden Sancho, still Sancho, cool as you like. But those guys, for me, need confidence and need a manager that says, you, you are my sort of stars or, or you're, you're who I'm going to depend on for creativity. And I do think the Ronaldo dynamic just shifts that. Salah was being smart and was right on it. All he needed to do was push and shove Fernandez to get him to push and shove him back. <laughs> he gets a yellow card, Fernandez gets sent off. United correspondent Laurie Whitwell, Liverpool correspondent Cy Hughes and the Manchester News correspondent Dan Sheldon are all with us for this one. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Well, there is an awful lot for us to discuss, obviously. I mean, first of all, I I cannot remember in my years of working for the Athletic doing a pod where Laurie is smiling and Simon is is looking (laughs) as downcast as as he is doing. Are you all right, Simon? Smiling, <laughs> you're, just, you're just trying to you're trying to place me in a in a, in a position. I'm not actually that, but yeah, you're right. It, it has been a long time since we've had this sort of conversation. Uh, just just before you joined Laurie, Simon said to me, "You know, well, you know, I've I've done my thing. I've t- I've turned up, even though it's been bad." I said to him, "Blimey, if you and me, if you and me had not turned up when it's been bad, we wouldn't have worked for about the last five years." <laughs> Isn't that the Harry Maguire role? You, you you come out and you and you say you say things after a, a bad performance. Obviously, Simon wasn't responsible for what happened at Old Trafford last night, but uh, we appreciate you being here, Si. It's nice yeah. to have a nice smile on your face, Chappers. You're looking glowing today. Thank you very much. You've got to take the positives, haven't you, really? What was the... Because uh, they don't come along very often at the moment. Uh, what, what was it like last night at Old Trafford? It was a, a, a great energy, you know, I think fueled by the protests. The fact that people had come with this kind of militant attitude. Um, the, the stadium was actually, you know, pretty full um, for the most part. Casemiro came out, so people were excited about that. But also, as he's coming out, you know the anti-Glazer um, chants come out as well. You know, at the very moment that they're unveiling their new shiny toy, you know, United fans want to make the point about the ownership. So that kind of fed into this um, kind of wild feeling around the ground that then took hold because United started really brightly. You know, started with aggression, as, as Jurgen Klopp said, ran about the pitch, which is the clear thing that Eric Ten Hag wanted from his players, and um, pressed Liverpool and, and you know, created chances. So. It all kind of worked together to, you know, create a really, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say special Old Trafford night because I mean it is it's one victory over Liverpool, but I think it was a really important night for Eric Ten Hag because the big calls that he made and they were big calls that they came off and and this hopefully will give him a bit of a, a jump start to his career now at United. Do you think Liverpool were surprised, Si, by everything last night? And if they were, why were they? They, they did look it. I mean. You're playing Man United at Old Trafford amidst protests. I think they should have known really what was what was going to come, especially after the way they performed last week. I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool's three performances this season have, have been either bad or punctuated by bad things. So game one, Fulham, Klopp even mentioned himself, attitude. I mean, I thought they showed a lack of humility in the first game. Then the, the second game has become a lot harder because of a lack of discipline. 
And then, I mean, I thought last last night, for one of the few occasions in the in the Klopp era, it, it seemed to be a lack of desire. Worryingly, I'd, I'd say for him, I mean, I, I think the three longest serving players seemed to struggle to keep pace with what was going on, both in possession and out of possession. You know, United, a lot was said about United's young team. Thought it was a really bold selection by Ten Hag. Albeit, you know, a lot of people have said this is what he should have done a couple of weeks ago. I, th- I think that um, to do it in this game, you know, it shows quite a lot of courage, really. Uh, and I think that 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 put a lot of pressure on Liverpool and the, the three, as I say, the three longest seven players, Milner, Henderson, Firmino, just weren't able to get up to speed. You know, key areas of the pitch. Klopp from here, I mean, Klopp's got some some big decisions to make really, I think both in the short term and the long term, because, you know, the, the injury record and, um, and equally, like, I think it's a sort of game where you look at the team and you think, you know, it's a big game. Is this one of those sorts of moments where you think, you know, something does have to change here because you were just way, they were just way behind Liverpool, way, way behind. And Virgil van Dijk, you know, has played badly in three games as well. He's got to be thrown into that mix, I'd say. Doesn't seem himself. So, got to give United credit for the way they performed, of course. But, but, but I, th- I think this this hasn't been in isolation, this performance. Uh, si made the point about about the selection of Ten Hag and, and Dan and Laurie on this, and, and Dan go first, is that, you know, Ten Hag did get his selection right last night because, because they won. The players that were left out, there will be a lot of United fans going, that was brilliant last night, but why didn't you do that for the first two games no I agree I think it, it was a, a brave and bold selection and had it had it got wrong you'd imagine that would have been one of the first few questions asked was well, you've left your captain out and you've left the highest paid player at the club out of arguably your biggest game of the season the question is now why didn't you do that from the beginning of the season and how different it it may have been but ultimately I think you know, he will feel vindicated in in doing in doing that and, and you wonder what it means going forward now and I'm, Laurie will obviously know more and covers a club way more in depth than I do. But you now wonder, well, is there a way back for Maguire? How does he get, get back into the team? And what does it mean for Ronaldo? You know, will they be able to sell him in the next week or so? The Ronaldo thing is, is for me, the most uh, crucial element to this because he clearly he has paid so much money. He is the focal point. He came over to, um, you know, Gary Neville and, and Roy Keane and, and you know, managed to do the the public snubbing of Jamie Carragher, I thought he took it really well. Um, but that felt to me like, you know, a, a bit of a, a PR move to, to make sure I'm, I'm still here. I'm, you know, these are guys that I know that I've had success with. And, you know, Eric Ten Hag spoke about pressing after the game. It, you know, he said that Ronaldo can do it. He just needs to adapt. He's adapted to different managers and, and teams, which I don't know if he was being totally genuine about because clearly he's had some issues since he's come back. Um, and, and that's why he's put him on the bench against Liverpool because, you know, he, he hasn't been totally buying into what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do and, and the mood at Carrington has been uh, affected by that. So it was a brave decision, but it was one based entirely on logic and also a show of strength because, you know, he's, he's won without him. You know, he brought him on, you know, kind of figuratively at the end. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure there'll be movement on that in, in the coming, um, you know, final days of the, of the window um, to sort of find a solution there because Ronaldo won't be happy having a season on the bench at all. Um, but the, the the fact that Tenag made these calls and, and even, you know, down to sort of tactical stuff, you know, David De Gea kicking long, he showed a bit of pragmatism there. But also his new signings, Martinez, Eriksson, Malassia, all started. That's kind of a sign, again, for the final few days of the window. Look, my signings that I, I said were good, you know, have, have proved 
you know, effective against, you know, a fantastic team like Liverpool, albeit with their issues. Um, touching on one of size points from Liverpool's point of view, I did think that they actually had some good moments um, in the game, you know, in terms of controlling possession, certainly. Um, and I wonder, United now, the next step is, you know, they've got Southampton at the weekend for a start, doing this against a team where they will have more possession. You know, they, they could play on the counter, they could have Rashford and Alanga and Sancho running in behind. Liverpool's fullbacks, um, you know, that's going to be different against a team where you're you're dominating. So let's see how that goes. But and and just found on the Maguire point, you know, clearly he will take. I think the decision to be out the team better than Ronaldo. Uh, I think he's you know he had that at the end of last season with um, Ralph Ranić at Arsenal where he was he was left out the side. Um, so I, you know he came on the pitch at the end. You know he wanted to be part of that victory. He could see that he was you know involved in it. Um, but it will be interesting. I mean, Rafa Varane's had some injury problems previously, so that's the one kind of question mark, I guess. But they look like a good partnership, didn't they, Varane and Martinez? So you are right. I don't know where the next stage that Maguire comes back into the team will be. Why, um, side on on Laurie's point about United City on the counter attack? Liverpool have known that that's what United were were going to do. There are a couple of things about how Liverpool defended. One, they're never, ever going to change, are they? They're never going to change having that high line. Whoever the opposition are, that is how Liverpool play. And the other thing with them defensively, I suppose, is it's not the first time that Trent Alexander-Arnold has had a really, really tough night or tough game at Old Trafford. And in the past, Klopp has left him out against United, hasn't he? But I'm guessing injury problems meant he couldn't do that yesterday. Yeah, I think when... We talk about the, the the high line. A lot of the focus is on the defence and how exposed they might look at certain times. But the problem is actually when it gets exposed, it's, it's actually higher up the pitch. Because when you're playing that high line, the expectation is that your forwards and your midfields press and win the ball. So last night, I mean, I thought in midfields, you know, it was telling that the, the, the two players that came off first with Henderson... And then um, I think Milner, Milner come off seconds. Mm. Um, you know that they they really struggled last night, both in possession when they had the ball, and then out of possession. The decision to play Fabinho, I mean, we discussed just before we start the podcast, um, didn't work out. Unfortunately, Fabinho hasn't played well in the first two games of the season for Liverpool. He got he got hooked after an hour against Fulham. Was I thought he started well against Palace, but then just sort of. Uh, really struggles actually in in the in the sort of after the first twenty minutes half an hour. Um, so clearly Klopp seen something that he wanted to change. That was a big call. Obviously his big call I don't think works. I thought when Fabinho came on, Liverpool got a bit more control of the ball. As for Trent Alexander-Arnold, he had a, another poor game. Like all the other players that I mentioned, poor against Fulham. Much better against Palace. And so I thought he played really well against Palace. Um, I think as well, I mean, I, I, it was the best I've seen Marcus Rashford play in a long time, I've got mm. to say. I, I thought he was outstanding. I thought him and Fernandez, um, Fernandez played the role of the agitator very well, I thought, you know, and, and it was the sort of performance you've seen from him two years ago before Ronaldo went there. He obviously suited being captain and joy, embraced that responsibility. Again, I think sometimes Trent looks like he's exposed because of the way Liverpool play, the fullbacks bomb on so high up the pitch at times you know people say he's not there so it's because he's not there he's so he's so high up the pitch it is <laughs> difficult to get back you know sometimes it's just the nature of the way they play but 
I think the problem for Trent last night was he, he was wasteful in possession more than his positioning, to be honest. I think when you play that game and you play that expansive style, it's justified if if the quality of delivery is good, if the passing is good, if it, if it lands in the place that you want to. And unfortunately, that didn't happen last night. I did see a heat map of all the passes that went astray. And I think when that happens, you, you, you start arguing then, is, is it worth it? You know, is it worth putting him in this in this role? Uh, it looks like he's he's getting exposed a lot. Sai mentioned Marcus Rashford there and we are at a stage of a season where, you know, with performances from individuals or teams are going, oh, could this be, could this be the, the you know, reset? We did it with Leeds beating Chelsea. Is this the moment that it's now Jesse Marsh's team, for example, etc.? I just wonder how significant you think it is Rashford's performance, Laurie, and his goal because he had time to think about that and he struggled in those situations in recent months. How significant his performance and actually Sancho's performance with the way Sancho scored his goal <laughs> um, was it will be going forward. They're huge. I mean, we saw on pre-season tour the way that, and we had it at the end with Martial coming on, that sort of front four do work well together. I know it's only a small sample size, but you can see how... They can link and, and, and they've got pace, they've got skill, they've got creativity and, and at, their, at their best, at their, if Tenha can drill them, they do have work ethic. I mean, you had Rashford, it, it has been a long time since we've seen him do this kind of stuff, but, you know, 71st minute, I think it was, he was, you know, chasing down Joe Gomez, flying into a slide to try and block uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold clearance. So it was, it was that side of the game as well. You're right, the finish was unerring, you know, really impressive considering he's, he's not had... The, the the cleanest of decision making sometimes in, in those situations but against Allison he always seems to pick the right one doesn't he he scored a few like that where you, you're kind of thinking wow it was a sharp finish um, I think Sancho's moment was the moment of the night wasn't it where you know he does the, the drag back and you've got Bruno Fernandes pointing it at the empty net that Allison's just vacated you know come on, just just put it in there please um, but I, I, the, the reason why that goal felt good was because you know United did break quickly but then also they recycled the ball you know when the first sort of chance hadn't quite worked I think Ericsson and took a bit too long trying to have a shot and, and they reworked it and, and it you know a good pass from Alanga and, and Sancho did his did his business. That those guys for me need confidence and need to have a manager that says you you are my sort of stars or, or you're you're who I'm gonna depend on for creativity. And I do think the Ronaldo dynamic just shifts that, you know, I, I think that that kind of clouds the issue for them. Um but yeah I think those two and with Bruno I mean I'm interested to hear what Sai maybe thinks about him and, and you chappers, you know, the, the agitative side of him because people say he can't be the captain because he's, he's, he moans and he flaps his arms. That felt like the right side. I mean, it, it was, can I say shithouse? You know, it was that kind of... Well, that, that, was, the, that was exactly, that was what I was going to say to, to, to describe <laughs> him as well because, I mean, that's, that's what he was yeah. last night. I mean, the, 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 ball, the ball thing was kind of funny um, I thought he's running a little bit of risk because obviously he'd already been booked but then again it was United's goal uh, uh, centre kick so maybe he knew what he was doing obviously he had the little bit of a thing with Jurgen Klopp when he went to get his drinks bottle um, and, and Klopp, Klopp basically said I afterwards I think this is what he was getting at that Bruno Fernandes needs to have that edge to his game needs to have a row with somebody to be at his, at his fullest I, I think people have said that to us as well and Jurgen Klopp said fine use me no problem if that's what you want Can I just I, I just think Actually, the, the reaction of Salah to that moment, you know, with the ball, I think it sort of summed Liverpool up a little bit. You know, if Salah was being smart and was right on it, all he needed to do was 
you know, push and shove Fernandez to get him to push and shove him back. He gets a yellow card. Fernandez gets sent off. Mm. It's as simple as that. You know, I don't think he was, you've been a bit too nice about it. Give me the ball <laughs> back. You know, so, you know, you've got you've got to play the game a little bit. He could have easily got him sent off in that moment. Yeah. And it just didn't seem he wasn't the only one. He could could have been any any of the Liverpool players surrounding him. Like I think in in the past, well, certainly last season, Liverpool were given credit for like sort of this sort of behaviour, you know, around penalties and protecting Salah and being smart around trying to trying to sort of get gain these little advantages. And it just didn't seem like you just got to go with 10 minutes to go. You know, if you get them sent off, you're going to be right on top of them. But it was just thoughtless, really. Um, and then after that, I actually thought Liverpool went from being in a quite an aggressive position, having scored, and then just sort of ran out of ideas, it seemed, the last 10 minutes. Had, had he got them sent off, which, again, I've got no problem with that sort of shit out behaviour, whether it's Fernandez or Salah, either way, it's part of the game. Yeah, there was no siege at the end, was there, from Liverpool? It, it, it was no. kind of, you know, United managed to, I mean, Klopp said afterwards, you know, the, the 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 watch ran down without any football being played and and yeah I mean Fernandez was at the heart of that you know sort of going over a few few dives maybe but also I mean Ten Hag nearly you know went absolutely crazy when he tried to pass to to you know give a third goal and gave gave the ball away and Ten Hag's going mental on the sidelines you know with, with like a few seconds left but Fernandez to be fair to him sprints back and then wins a sort of cheap foul doesn't he um for, for a loose ball but yeah there wasn't there wasn't that kind of you know, backs to the walls finished from United that you sort of felt like it was going to be when Liverpool scored that goal. The other, I mean, the other thing, Dan, with, with Bruno just is, and Sky did the stats, you can't get away from the fact he is more influential when Ronaldo isn't in that team. For whatever for whatever reason, whatever the dynamic between the two of them is, whether it's a nationality thing and you feel in the shadow of a fellow countryman, whatever it may be, whether it changes your role tactically... The stats show he's much more influential when he kind of has the mantle of the main man. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think it, it possibly, I think Fernandez is a creative player and it stems back to what Laurie was saying about the the attacking players that United went with yesterday. You know, they're all keen to make runs behind. They all work hard. And if you're Fernandez and you're looking up at that, you're thinking, this is great. And he may see if he didn't pick out Cristiano, Cristiano may throw his hands up in the air, similar to how Bruno does. And that's going to affect your mentality. And as you said, I think tactically it's, it is notable that Bruno is a much better player when Cristiano's not on the pitch. And I know we're going to get onto the protests and not to kind of labour on this point, but I thought it was notable, if not significant, is that at the Tollgate, all the fans were, you know, regarding former players and Gary Neville's name, George Best. At no point did they sing Ronaldo's name, which I thought was, I, you know, I noted it, and they were singing Bruno's name. At, at, at no point at the pub on the march. I mean, no, no offense, no offense to Gary, but I would hope they sang George Best before. They oh, sang they did Gary. indeed. I mean, they did indeed. Know, much as much as I know, they did know, indeed. Blimey. But I thought it was notable that they didn't they didn't sing Cristiano's Viva Ronaldo song, but they did a few renditions of Bruno's. Before we get to before we get to the the protests and, and the future of those, Martinez was great last night. Malasia had a very very good you know first start as left back and what whilst not wanting to take away from their performances Laurie and Sai and Laurie you go first did Liverpool's front three play into the hands of Martinez and Malassia well this is another point I suppose you know specifically tactically in that Liverpool don't play with a centre forward that you know can get physical although people will say you know look at Martinez the way he handled Erling Haaland in the uh, Champions League game against Dortmund for Ajax last season so he knows what he's doing in those circumstances but I do think it suited 
Varane and Martinez to have a front three that were kind of fluid and would move around. You know, they, they were the right centre backs for that. And Martinez certainly enjoyed himself, didn't he? You know, uh, Grinter is what Tenard called it. You know, that kind of South American win at all costs attitude where he's kind of digging his fingernails into James Milner's scalp as you know as he's you know walking past him and stuff like that that just I think the United fans will buy into and will appreciate um but yeah I wonder how that will work against you know dif- different styles um of forwards um and Malassi yeah, seems to really enjoy himself he's got good technique um got a good energy and and sort of spring I mean again he's another one that was kind of blocking stuff no, not once but twice. You know, if if the first attempt fails, go again. That was down by the corner flag in the second half. So, yeah, good performances. And and, and as I said, I think th- th- those are two players that were very much Ten Hag picks. So they've come in and, and done well against a team like Liverpool. That that kind of gives him. It's again, it's one match, but it gives him a little bit of, um, I guess, uh, confidence in his own abilities, but also for everybody else to look at and go, okay, this guy does know a player. So I mean, it's all lifts and butts, isn't it, Si? Because if if Nunez hadn't got himself sent off, then you know what would we be talking about now? But that's sport. Well, I think Liverpool this season that there has been a, a little bit of a change tactically in 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 the forward areas. We've spoken about a little bit after the Palace game, where you see Trent Alexander-Arnold trying to almost get into the midfield a bit more with Salah being in a wider position. Than, it, than he normally has been. Now I'm, you know, I'm not a tactics nerd. I, I must confess this, so I, I don't understand all the reasons and, and how this works out. But it just seems to me that Salah's spending a lot of time too close to the touchline and not enough time centrally. Bearing in mind he's been the club's leading goal scorer for God, God knows how long. It stands to reason that you you increase your chances of scoring if you are closer to the goal. Um, and I, I, I thought that last night, again, he was just too far away from the goal. It seemed at times the gulf between him and Diaz was enormous. I mean, let, let's be fair to the two centre-halves. I thought they were allowed to almost get a momentum into the game because a lot of the time they weren't marking anyone. You know, Firmino was going into midfield. There was a, a, a another heat map where I think the first half, Milner spent more time ahead of Firmino, which is just absolutely incredible when you think about it. So they, they were allowed to sort of feel themselves into the game a little bit without being under that constant physical challenge. Um, it's it's not quite working for me, this. I, I think that they need to have a rethink about... I, th- I think that at the end of the last season, there was a feeling at Liverpool that other teams were sort of beginning to get more results against them, you know, to figure them out a bit. Spurs, uh, Wolves had a really good performance at Anfield the last game of the season by doing exactly what Spurs did. Man United did something totally different yesterday, but I think they've almost... It seems to me maybe that they maybe overthought about the challenges at the start of this season because, for me, Salah is just nowhere near close enough to the goal at the moment. And when, when that happens, he's not, he's not quite as effective. We'll, talk, we'll do protest, then we'll do a bit of transfers and then, and then we'll, we'll draw a line under it all and, and it's over for you, Simon. So that, that's fine. Uh, no problem. Um, uh, Dan, on the, on the protest, they're, they're not going to go away. One win over Liverpool and a signing of Casemiro doesn't alter the feeling the United fans, a lot of United fans, have towards their owners. You never really know what you're going to get with with protests. I think before before last night, they were hoping for sort of six to 10,000 people and... I remember looking at my apartment and it was chucking down with rain at, 
sort of half four and I thought well, no one's going to want to go outside in that <laughs> I mean I had my umbrella ready to go and I thought well if I carry that I'm going to look I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb um, <laughs> so, so luckily the rain subsided and as I got to the toll gate maybe around 5.15 there was already a queue to get in it was a ticketed event so you could only get in with a ticket but the queue was already kind of stretching back onto the pavement and around the corner and the fans were in you could hear them getting off the tram at, at Trafford Bar you could hear the, the fans already singing so it was a really good atmosphere. I, I can't, you kind of are a little bit apprehensive in the sense that when there are so many people, it just takes one or two to do something. And then all of a sudden, it's like, a, you know, bang, it all just goes off. And there were maybe only a couple of moments I thought that may happen. One was when uh, a coach was stuck at a, a red light and the fans seemed to think that it was a Liverpool coach and just started hurling cans of beer towards it and I think that I think the company tweeted they they saw the video that I posted and tweeted that it was actually a coach carrying kids to Old Trafford to watch the game um and you know there, there were unsavory chants obviously there were a lot of anti-glazer rhetoric but the numbers just grew grew and grew and then at sort of 6:40, 6:45, I took a walk out down the road and it was then you saw the the sheer scale of how many people had turned up you know they started flowing out the pub and all you could just see was you know, green and gold, united tops. On on the whole, it was it was largely peaceful, and I think that you know there was a significant police presence. But at no point, with my own eyes, did I see them given any kind of grief. The nineteen fifty eight and and must wanted it to be peaceful, and I think it's had a bigger impact because it was peaceful. For too long, I've kind of sat on the side and no done my bit and no jumped in. So I thought, well, now's the time get them out while they're on the ropes. Um, if enough people join in, uh, my one worry about United is always it's turned into too much of a tourist club, you know. Um, so I feel like if enough of us make our voices hard, stand together, not fight each other, keep it peaceful, then you know it won't be good things said about us, and then we'll hopefully get the effect that we desire. You know, they got to Old Trafford, carried on singing, and then eventually just dispersed as they wanted to go and watch the game. I think there were a group of maybe two or three hundred that stayed outside and carried on singing their, their anti-Glazer songs and it was quite quite funny when Sancho scored because all of a sudden they started going mad and everyone started running into them but no on the whole you know I think it was significant I spoke to people along along the march one had come from Norway that day just to join the protest had no didn't have a ticket for the game but just wanted to show his support uh, another had flown over from America proper anti-Glazer type she said she kind of trolls the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on, on social media and all sorts. So she she was there to, to support. And a couple of more perhaps seasoned United fans I spoke to said, this is by far the biggest they'd seen. You know, one, one made a poignant point of, you know, we've done this before, we've had games called off and the Glazers still cling on. You know, we're all out here, but Old Trafford is sold out inside. So is that going to, you know, what impact is this going to have? They, they're within their right to protest, obviously, Laurie, but it still feels slightly... The way the Glazers behave, is it futile? You know, over the years, a lot of people have said that the Glazers are resilient to protest. You know, as long they're in America, you know, Joel Glazer works out of an office in Washington. So he doesn't, he's not there to feel the energy and feel the emotion that these people have got and see the sight that, that Dan describes, which was, I saw it on social media, and even that was enough to go, wow, you know, this is a lot of people. Um, but yeah, as you say, what result will that have when people clearly want them to sell up and go um i think you're um that the fan that you spoke to from america that's kind of a a a a 
a, a strategy that has merit, um, you know, targeting the sponsors or, or targeting, you know, other things that are associated with Manchester United, because I think that has had an effect. I think Richard Arnold has, you know, according to 1958, um, when they sat down with him, he, he accepted that that had had an, an effect, you know, targeting sponsors and seeing their ratings go down. So if, if you can't attract sponsors and Team View have already announced, haven't they, they're not, they're not going to renew their sponsorship of the shirt after this um, run that, that goes on for a few more years. So that that perhaps is the is the key uh, ingredient. But I do think that just keeping it in the consciousness when you have matches of the scale that they had last night against Liverpool, Monday night football in front of millions of people around the world and you have anti-Glazer chance on loop even though United are winning because that's always the accusation oh you're only complaining because United are losing and maybe there's a bit more edge to it now but also I think that people are very aware of the facts more so now than they have been in the past in terms of how much money the Glazers have cost Manchester United for the privilege of having them as owners so I do think that even having that those chants in the stadium that is full um, has some kind of impact you know and, and will be fed back to the Glazers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? This Monday, for example, I'll be joined by Daniel Storey, Tom Williams and Benji Lignardo to explain what actually happened this Premier League weekend. Huh. Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Horncastle, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories, including this week, the biggest last-minute comeback in Bundesliga history. Woof. Thursday then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with data beta Duncan Alexander and this week, analysis from Karl Anker and Adrian Clark. Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me. Just search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. Feels like every pod has transfer stuff on it at, at the moment. So I, Jamie Carragher seemed to sort of say on Sky last night, and there, there is this general feeling around Liverpool that they need a midfielder, but they are waiting for the right one 
to be available, which I think a lot of people assume will be Jude Bellingham. I mean, maybe Declan Rice, but Jude Bellingham feels like targeted, which is a very Liverpool way, isn't it, of waiting for the man that they want. They did it with Van Dyke and Alisson to a certain extent, rather than just filling a position of need with a second choice or a third choice. Yeah, and they've received, as you said, a lot of credit for that. I mean, I can see both sides to it. I think that there's the unfortunate matter of matches that sometimes get in the way of this. You know, like events <laughs> do happen that mean that you might actually have to do something about it. Um, you know, you know, two, 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 two seasons ago, as far as I'm concerned, they, they got away with it, you know, getting into the Champions League, really, when it was quite clear that they needed a centre-half. I know they only could only get Canate towards the end of the season. Uh, at the end of the season, they obviously tried to fill that space by signing a guy on loan from from Germany who, who, who wasn't really up to it, if we're being honest, and then Ben Davis, who um, never appeared once for the, for the club. So... Um, I think Liverpool's problem sometimes is, you know, the, the flexibility in the transfer strategy. I, I do think, I, I just can't for the life of me think that there's only one player that can that can do what they're asking them to do. Not only that, I mean, I, I also think, part, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think Jude Bellingham should really actually, if, if he's the player that Liverpool wants, I do wonder whether the sort of player that he is would actually shoot playing for this Liverpool team in terms of what they want out of the player. You know, that Liverpool wants a player who, I think Laurie started the, the conversation, you know, who, who will run about a bit and do all the dirty work, basically. And I think some of the more creative Liverpool midfielders have found that harder to do. You know, like Curtis Jones, I think, is trying to prove at the moment that he can do all the hard work. And that's, that's been at the expense of his, of his more creative work. So they need, you know, the, the idea they need another grafter, somebody who's got legs. I think last night showed, you know, they need somebody who can, who, who's got the stamina, who's going to be fit and available. I mean, availability is the other thing. Are they available? Are they ready to, to play and train the clock way? So um, I think at the moment, I mean, they do have uh, four injuries in that part of the team. I think bigger for me, the bigger issue for me isn't the actual midfield. I think the club needs to figure out why they keep on having all these injuries and them all coming at once. It's happened too often now. I think that is, and it will happen again unless they, they, they sort of pinpoint and figure out why it keeps happening. Um, I think that's a much bigger issue for this season. The other, the other concern and sort of side to it a little bit, I'd say, is like so Jürgen Klopp sort of flip-flopped on the idea over the last couple of weeks. He almost scoffed at journalist suggestions that Liverpool needed the midfielder three weeks ago. And then last night, after the Ababab defeat against Man United, I believe he spoke to Sky Germany and said, well, yeah, of course, a, a manager wants as many players as he wants, but uh, as he can get. But, um, but you know, that there were sort of, that's not the way it is here, you know, that there were certain restrictions on what FSG do. So clearly he's feeling the pressure. I think that showed that, you know, he's sort of realising he might have a few problems there. As far as United are concerned then, Laurie, I mean, there are still rumours that on top of Casemiro, they are, they still think they could get De Jong and there's Anthony still being discussed. So if you look at the, the fees for both, that's another £150 million on top of Casemiro, which would then take it to £220 million for those three before you even look at what they spent to bring in Martinez and, and Malassia and, 
I mean, they aren't they aren't going to get De Jong and Anthony along with Casemiro in the last week of a transfer window, are they? Where's your faith, chappers? Come on, this is Manchester United. This is the the deal making machine. Well, you've just done but you've just done five minutes on the Glazers taking money out of the club. So, you <laughs> well, know. this is it. Where where are they getting this money from? After you know, um, sort of preaching prudence uh, all summer. You know, clearly. Uh, circumstances, as Sai says, you know, events happen. United lose matches, and here we go. Maybe there's some more money that we can figure out, um, you know, for, for the manager. Yeah, the De Jong thing is a really curious one because as soon as Casemiro happened, the word was, you know, even before the Casemiro got announced, um, was that you know that would basically um, spell the end for for the De Jong pursuit, which had gone on all summer. There's been some reports that I think Tenag is, is perhaps still pushing, but I, I had a call this morning. And yeah, I'm 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 pretty certain that there's there's no chance of um, Frankie Dion coming in. So feel free to clip this up and point out how wrong I am when when he you know holds up the scarf um, come September the first. But um, Anthony's a different matter. Anthony, they're definitely pursuing. He's obviously pushing for it. You saw him last night. He was watching the game with his agent. They posted that on social media. You know that he's doing his bit. He, he's he's not not training. Didn't play against Sparta. Um, Hakim Ziyech has flown over to Amsterdam as, as clearly, you know, uh, Anthony's potential replacement. It's just about doing a deal now with Ajax. They are going to squeeze this as as they did really with Martinez. You know, squeeze this for for what it's worth. It's late in the window. You know, um, he's obviously a player that Ten Hag uh, really wants in the building. Um, I'm, I'm told that it might not even be. This is what I was confused about. I thought Cody Gakpo was an alternative, but there are suggestions that they might try for both. Anthony and Cody Gakpo. Um, I, I, would, I would be surprised if both come, as, as the points you've made, Chappers. It's a lot of money. He's the PSV winger, and they've got the game against Rangers in the Champions League on Wednesday, so nothing will happen before that um, from PSV's point of view. Um, but they're also in the market for a sort of number two stroke, number one goalkeeper, at least someone that can kind of genuinely push David De Gea. Um, and, and even maybe you know, got, there's a ladder. There's a ladder. Forest. They might want to have. A well, ladder. no, yeah, we can, we can revisit that perhaps in the future. But yeah, there's a there's a good article on the Athletic about that at the moment. Uh, if you talk, if you want to know the the kind of intricacies of of, of what happened there and, and what that then uh, led to from from Eric Ten Hag after that um, quite um, punchy uh, interview that Dean Henderson gave. But he, he looks like he's having a good season so far. But yeah, I think it's going to be a fairly um, busy end to the window for Manchester United. Sorry, even even on a podcast like this, there was some cynicism at the end. Sai, uh, <laughs> Sai, well done on that. Thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me on. A pleasure. <laughs> Don't worry, probably be another six years before you have a feeling like this again. So there you go. Dan, Laurie, good stuff. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers Chapa. See ya. Is it a massive problem that my audio didn't work? He's done that. He's done that deliberately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally didn't work. Uh, <laughs> Poor that side. I don't want to. I don't want a copy of that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> for more on United, Liverpool, and so much more, make sure you subscribe to the Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months uh, at theAthletic.com/slash/footballpod. Uh, Laurie's on our twice-weekly United podcast, The Talk of the Devils. Simon is a regular on the Red Agenda. All available wherever you get your pods and ad-free, of course, on The Athletic. I'm back tomorrow. I promise we won't talk Manchester United. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.